Good morning, Karen. Yeah, the one day it was uh, 49 where I was at up there, and I believe at home it was 12. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, a, a considerable difference. And it was, uh, oh, there was some rain and things that you get up there, but it, it, the weather was really, uh, really beautiful. And everybody that had a camera, we got uh, enough snow so that they, they were taking pictures of, Oh, everything from moose to bears to bald eagles. Uh, it's nice to have the the snow for a background. You like a dark creature in a white background, and it made it uh, very nice for folks with uh, a lot of photography gear. They invest all that in a camera, so you want to get at least a couple good photos while you're there. So it was very nice. There, how much snow did they have? Area. Al, how much snow did they have there compared with what we have here? Because we just I would consider ours more of a dusting. But how about in Alaska? We, uh, where we were, we got six and a half inches. Oh, well, snow. okay, you win. So, <laughs> yeah, but then it rained some on it, so you lost a lot of it. Uh, so we had one day of slush while I was kind of in between the two things, and then it disappeared. Uh, but when we went out, uh, well, heading towards Canada, uh, Haines is, uh, I don't know, 40 miles, maybe 30-some miles from Canada, so as you headed north there, there was more snow that was remaining in place. But, uh, yeah, it was a it was just a, a lovely trip. But there's an area in Haines, Alaska called the Dog Park. Dog Park. And we think about dog parks around here. Everybody takes their dogs for walks there to do their job and get a little exercise. And this one in Haines, I don't believe it's an official dog park, nor is that its official name, but it's where many people take their dogs for strolls and the dog owners you know in a lot of areas where uh, listeners live if you don't pick up after your dog somebody somebody squawks at you they don't want to be stepping in that you can't blame them for that but the dog owners at the dog park in Haines Alaska do not pick up after their pooches and, uh, well, what's the use? Because uh, bears go there, too. So <laughs> they, they don't do that. And I spoke at the uh, Bald Eagle Festival at the American Bald Eagle Foundation. That's located in Haines, Alaska. And Haines, Alaska is where folks think Texas is cute. Uh, Haines, uh, I know I mentioned this last week, it's about 80 miles north of Juneau, the state capital, and as many as 3,500 bald eagles have been found in a single count in Haines, Alaska. All species of Alaska's Pacific salmon, that be king, sockeye, coho, pink, and chum, are caught in the Chilkat and Chilkoot rivers in Haines. And when I say Haines, the city of Haines and the Haines Borough, which is like a county combined governments uh, a few years back. So now when we refer to Haines, it's pretty much that whole borough and the city itself. Uh, hemlock and Sitka spruce trees predominant. Uh, brown and black bears, wolves, coyotes, moose, mountain goats, uh, porcupine, river otters, harbor seals, orca, humpback whales are seen there. The 1991 White Fang movie was filmed in Haines, as was Gold Rush. Uh, it's a TV series that was 
I, on the Discovery Channel was filmed there. It's still going. I, I'm not sure if it's on the same channel or what's all going on there. But uh, the population of the Haynes Borough is about 2,400 in the summer and uh, 1,897 dogs. And then it drops to about 1,800 in the winter. Uh, Haynes is where the tundra and the rainforest meet. Uh, the numbers jump around depending on the source, and I'm amazed how different the weather channel is from maybe another weather source. But the average annual rainfall is approximately 48 inches, with an annual snowfall of 122 to 130 inches. During the winter of 2011 and 12, 360 inches of snow fell downtown. That's right, 30 feet. Wow. <laughs> I love seeing the mountains. I recall leading a trip to Alaska and hoping that Denali, formerly Mount McKinley, would be visible. I arose early and delighted in seeing the highest peak in North America, so I told my charges as they got up that the mountain was out. And one of them asked, where else would it be? Uh, it was a great question. The mountain was there. We just couldn't see it, I guess. I was uh, nearly hit by a LFBE in Haines. That'd be a low-flying bald eagle while birding. But uh, everything was beautiful. And uh, Karen Wright is selling all kinds of real estate in Haines. Uh, she's uh, located oh. in Juneau, Karen, <laughs> right? but everywhere I went. <laughs> Yep, said Karen Wright, realtor, and had her phone number, Southeast Alaska Real Estate, and I think she is a go-getter who says the right choice for your real estate needs. And she seems, you know, there's always that one realtor that seems to have their name on everything, and she was that one in Haynes and Juno. So, wow, uh, I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was so busy. (laughs) Yeah, well, I hope those. uh, you're getting a lot of commission checks from up there, Me so too. it should be nice. Uh, Lindsay Bachter of Mankato, uh, my wife told me this, that uh, Lindsay said she's seeing lots of bald eagles around the area. Rick Mamble of Albert Lee said lots of goldfinches. I hope I'm correct in reckoning they are juveniles. Seems so cruel to leave such tiny creatures out in the cold, even though they are feeding on demand and very well. I'm going through black oil sunflower seeds by the buckets, it seems, how such tiny birds with such tiny beaks can crack crack those seeds open amazes me. Sylvia and Larry Zevenbergen, they are from Hollandale. Uh, They said, hi there. Uh, We spotted a rather plump bird pushing stones aside in our landscaping to get at the food underneath. It was seven to eight inches long, had a stubby tail, a very strong bill, and a golden yellowish breast and throat patch. Its head was brown with three light stripes on top. It flicked leaves and other items away from itself at times. The beak was narrow versus stubby. It walked instead of hopping. We looked in our not very big bird book at fox sparrows and brown thrashers, but it had dark, not yellow eyes and a shorter tail in the given descriptions. Any ideas? Uh, you bet, Sylvia and Larry. It's a meadowlark, and they feed on weed seeds, insects, and grain, and are one of, of course, it's not going to be singing now, but it is one of the loveliest of the singers that we have here. So, 
it's uh, for some reason your particular metal arc missed the bus heading south and uh, who knows we do on occasion uh, get one that will hang around in the winter and uh, for unknown reasons uh, Katie Grieve of Bluer said, Hi, Al, I have a question and thought you, old wise one, might have an answer. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to clip, clip that out and put that old wise one. I will circle it and highlight it, and that was very nice of you, Katie. Uh, Katie said, I have loads of birds coming to my feeders, mostly sparrows now, but expect others as the cold months progress. Should I be providing houses for them? I live in town, so it's not like they have a forest to nestle down in. I feel sorry for them. I want to know how to help them. Well, how nice of you, Katie. Uh, birds often seek protected places to roost or sleep. Uh, dense vegetation found in thickets or the interior branches of evergreens serve as a windbreak and conceal the birds from night-prowling predators. In the winter, a few species of songbirds, the ones that nest in tree cavities or birdhouses in the spring, will also roost. You also use roost boxes to stay warm. And among them would be bluebirds, chickadees. Some of our listeners would have titmice, screech owls, downy woodpeckers. And many people attract roosting birds simply by leaving their nest boxes up all winter. Antidotal uh, evidence suggests that roosting birds prefer boxes mounted 10 feet high or more in winter. Perhaps birds feel safer up high. I'm not sure why. Uh, as for the rest, providing food and water will rock a bird's world. So that's uh, thank you, Katie. Uh, Tammy Vogel said, I saw the first pine siskins at our feeders yesterday morning. Oddly, just three of them and only two purple finches. Maybe they jumped over us. I love a rival of winter birds. See who turns up today in this bitter cold. You know, thanks, Tammy. Yeah, it it is pretty neat seeing what birds come down and uh, how many of them show up and how they act. And it's just, uh, it's, oh, it's like seeing an old friend that you hadn't seen for a long time. And you just say, boy, you're looking good. And I got a nice email from somebody without uh, just an email address asking. They told a little bit of story about they have a, a large yard that isn't too far from a lake. And they were saying that the Canada geese are on their lawn pretty much all the time and they say why do canada geese like lawns and i've talked before well they you know they mow the lawn and then they fertilize it but the reason they like lawns i think there's two reasons uh, number one goose food uh, the grass provides the food for geese and they are grass eating machines so they just will go through that grass like there's no tomorrow the second reason is safety so you think if you're a goose out there and you have some concerns about some mammals that might uh, like to do you or your young ones harm, the lawn makes it very easy to detect predators. So they can see anything coming pretty easily from a lawn. So a lawn does a nice job for them. They don't mind humans. I think they sometimes figure that, uh, well, we not only provide lawns for them, 
but we aren't uh, a great threat, you know, except during hunting season. But for the most part, we don't bother them a whole lot. So they're probably their biggest concern with humans, other than a lawnmower, perhaps, would be dogs. Uh, they don't always get along very well with dogs. But other than that, it's a pretty much a win-win situation for Canada geese as far as our lawns are concerned. So I, they and they leave us those little thank you deposits just to let us know the, how much they appreciate that. Uh, someone uh, sent me a photo of a chipmunk, and its cheeks were just uh, bulging with leaves. And the chipmunk would be taking these down into its burrow for us uh, to spend. Uh, a winter nap on that and the question was how much can a chipmunk stuff into its cheeks well the eastern chipmunk is about oh 10 inches long maybe that and i'm including the tail in that and its cheeks can stretch to three times larger than the chipmunk's head and uh, we all know somebody uh, maybe a dog we have a dog, a, a lab of our acquaintance that can put more tennis balls in his mouth than than would be caninely possible, we would think. I, I hope caninely is a word. It should be humanly is. But that's what a chipmunk can do. It can put, whether it's seeds with food in there or leaves, it can just, they just swell up these cheeks and everybody loves to take a photo of this beautiful little chipmunk with these bulging cheeks and i'm often told that its name the chipmunk comes from the sound that the animal makes however the common name may have been spelled chit c-h-i-t-m-u-n-k instead of chip and it's from an ojibwe word and a male chipmunk is called a buck, a female is called a doe, a baby is called a kit, kitten, or a pup, and a group of chipmunks is called a scurry, which is a, a pretty appropriate name, I mean, probably even better for squirrels. Uh, another question somebody was wondering, do both male and female pelicans get bumps on their bills? During the breeding season, both males and females do develop a pronounced fibrous plate on the top of their beaks, and it's called a nuptial tubercle, and that is shed by the end of the breeding season. And the next question is probably, I know the answer because I'm a gardener too, but it might be a better master gardener question, but I'm going to attempt to answer it anyway. Uh, what are the three sisters? Well, they are corn, beans, and squash. Yes. Uh, Native Americans found this trio thrived when planted together. And in legend, the plants were gifts from the gods to be grown together, eaten together, and celebrated together. The corn offers the bean support. The beans pull nitrogen from the air and into the soil for the benefit of all three. Then the large leaves of the sprawling squash protect the others by creating a living mulch, shading the soil while keeping it cool and moist and limiting the weeds. So it's, uh, there's a purpose to that. I know my grandma always talked about the three sisters. 
were dodos really stupid? Oh, no. You know, and I don't think there's an athletic team named the dodos. Uh, sadly, just because, well, for two reasons, because people would think they were stupid or they were extinct. So I don't, uh, I don't, they weren't stupid. Uh, dodos were thought to be stupid because they were too comfortable around humans. They didn't know enough to be frightened by us. And they were easily hunted on their native island, and their trusting nature and the introduction of invasive species wiped them out a century after they were discovered. Dodos had a similar brain-to-body size ratio to that of pigeons. And I know a lot of folks are going, oh, pigeons, oh, those dumb birds. <laughs> Actually, pigeons demonstrate an ability to be trained, and we can talk about uh, some of them getting these great uh, medals during wars and things. But pigeons are, are actually quite smart, and so dodos were too. But maybe there is an athletic team somewhere, the Denver dodos or something like that, but I, I highly doubt it. Do bats, I'm sorry, I got a bunch of questions here that folks have sent in, got a little bit behind. Do bats have hollow bones? You know, most birds do. Yeah, most birds have hollow bones, which makes sense if you're going to fly. But bats do not have hollow bones. But their bones are typically small and delicate, as you might expect if you're going to fly. You don't want a lot of weight. And the bones of their wings are lengthened to provide support for the wing membranes. Bats make up one-fifth of the mammal population on Earth, according to Bat Conservation International. I was talking to a, uh, an old friend, and he said, when we were kids, did we see turkey vultures? in Minnesota, and I said, yes, um, not like we do now, but we had them. I remember seeing one on our farm and getting all excited and dragging my poor father down there, thinking um, that he knew everything and he'd be able to tell me everything about this vulture that was there. Uh, when did they first appear in Minnesota? Oh, boy, you got me. Uh, T.S. Roberts, he was like the godfather of birders in Minnesota. He was a physician. But he worked in ornithology, and he reported that the turkey vulture, formerly more common, was still seen in fair numbers throughout the state in 1932. And he cited several accounts from the late 1800s that indicated the species was abundant throughout many parts of Minnesota. He described them as abundant in east-central Minnesota in 1870, very common in the Red River Valley in 1885 and seen every hour in the day in Ottertail County in 1893. But the real stronghold for turkey vulture and turkey vulture numbers was southeastern Minnesota along the Mississippi River and along the St. Croix River. The word vulture likely comes from a Latin word, which means to pluck or tear. And its scientific name means either golden purifier or purifying breeze. And in the old cowboy movies, vultures were called buzzards, a colloquial term for vultures. 
what buzzards you heard them uh, Gabby Hayes I think was the old guy that was what the Roy Rogers and Gene Autry movies was always talking about somebody was an old buzzard or something it's a colloquial term for vultures which applies to several hawk species in Europe so there actually are buzzards in Europe that's their name on a chemist scale on a pH scale which I think runs 0 to 14 with seven being neutral, like pure water. And the extremes are toxic. High numbers are alkaline. Ammonia measures 11, and bleach, I think, is 12. Low numbers are acidic, like lemon juice or sulfuric acid. Vultures can eat just about anything without suffering harm. And the main reason they can do this, they have the lowest gastric pH in the animal kingdom. Stomach acid protects animals because it digests bacteria and other living organisms. Turkey vultures' stomach acid has a pH slightly above zero. This is lower than that of a car battery. It could dissolve metal as well as digest nearly all organisms, including those causing anthrax, botulism, cholera, hepatitis, polio, and rabies. So turkey vultures are wonderful birds, and their appetites help prevent the spread of disease to humans and other animals. Um, My lovely bride just gave me a slip of paper and said it is 38 degrees in Haines right now. So uh, nice and warm in Haines, 38 degrees. Well, we're 19, and it feels like, I was going to say it's 19 here, and we feel like four, so they're still warmer than us. (laughs) They are, and it's. Uh, I walked uh, everywhere. Uh, every morning, I would get up uh, usually before uh, somewhere between four and five, and just go for a hike and walk all over the town of Haines. Uh, Saturday morning, I got up uh, particularly early and went for a walk, and I, I didn't encounter a single human, not a vehicle, not a dog, uh, nothing. There are still uh, bears out in Haines. Uh, some folks saw them. All I saw were uh, gigantic bear footprints or paw prints. But uh, didn't see it. It was so quiet and um, saw nothing anywhere I walked. So uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful morning uh, just to hike up and down hills and it was a great day, and everything was pretty dry, so you didn't have to worry about sliding. I have been up there some years where, with the rain, they do get some ice. And one year it was so icy, every store sold out of those uh, cleats, the traction for ice and snow cleats that they clipped to their shoes. And I was leading a tour out to look at some eagles, and the, we're going down a little bit of an embankment. I told everybody to be very careful, and the one lady ahead of me fell, and the lady behind me fell. So I didn't know which one to help first, <laughs> and the one lady was laughing. So I thought, she'll be okay. I better help the other one first. So uh, it was a case where you were... Uh, punished a little bit by being uh, one of those people that's in a good mood all the time. But uh, (laughs) you just figure if somebody's laughing, they're okay, and you better help the one that's not laughing. So it was, and I was just happy to be able to get them both up without uh, joining them on the ground as it was really slippery going down that. But uh, 
a lot of folks want to get down so they can get by the Chilcat River where the bald eagles are and you can get right up close to them. And folks were getting amazing photos with cell phones uh, this year. So it was just uh, what a change in, in everything that you're able to get a cell phone out there and get this incredible photo with it. So I should have taken pictures because there's a guy standing there with a lens as about as tall as he is on his camera, and next to him is a woman using a cell phone to take a picture of an eagle. So it'd be interesting to see who got the best picture. I'm guessing the guy with a gigantic lens, but it would be fun to see the photos they took side by side to see how great the difference really is. And I know the difference comes if he blows his up to some gigantic size. His will uh, maintain that beautiful quality where hers would probably be it pixely. Would, uh, lessen. Yeah. Be pixely, yeah. I think, is what they say. So, yep, it would just, uh, you'd lose some of that. But for what she's going to use it for, she's going to put it on Facebook or send it to her friends they're going to say that is the most incredible photo we have ever seen what kind of camera did you use uh-huh. and she'll say i used my iphone it's an iphone 6 i keep thinking about getting a new one but it still works pretty well so it um, it's fun that everybody can get out there and take photos and then just enjoy that whole process of taking photos and looking at other people's photos without having to invest uh, a bazillion dollars in camera equipment like some do. And and more power to those folks because, boy, they just have a great time out there with theirs. And they will stand there uh, as soon as the light gets right until the light gets bad. And they will just stand there at their cameras and taking photos and talking to one another. Have you tried this? Yeah, I used to have one like that. I had that same problem, and you hear them doing uh, what I call shop talk, even though uh, we used to get uh, so many professional photographers up there. But now uh, with digital, so many have, uh, I don't know if you call them uh, high-performing amateur photographers. I mean, some of them still sell their work, but... Uh, you don't see the preponderance of professional photo uh, photographers like you once did there. But I, I'm just always so happy when we're coming back on the ferry, which is one of my favorite ways of traveling. And people regale me with uh, the sights they've seen and what they've done. And, of course, where they ate, because uh, we're humans and it's so important to say, boy, we went down to the lighthouse and the food was so good down there. And, we had chicken strips. They have the best chicken. Another guy saying, "Oh no, you got to go here." Has the best fried chicken in in Haines. So it was a, a fun time, and I just um, I look forward to being there Say, every Al, single year. Do they ever it, have you eat yeah. blubber? Is that something that they ever eat there? Because you hear about it, and you know, in the old days, that's what they used to survive on. I think, but now is that a thing anymore or not? Up in Alaska. I've never, I've never eaten blubber or seen it served. I have, hmm. I did eat uh, what they call ooligan once, which, uh, oh, uh, I guess if you like oil, um, like ten thirty motor oil or something, you'd like <laughs> it. And I know some, um, it's great for uh, some of the clingets and some of the the natives there. 
that they would not only use it as food, I think they would use it as dried fish a lot, but they would use it in their lamps uh, for oil uh, through the years. And one year, a few years ago, they have a golf course there, which is for sale if anybody's saying, boy, you know what, my life is pretty much perfect, except I would love to own a golf course in Haines, Alaska. It is for sale. But the river uh, overran its banks and pretty much flooded the golf course with hooligan, these little oily fish. And I did try one of those, and I, I have to admit that I am not the world's biggest fan of fish that tastes like fish. Yeah, uh, I fishy know that fish. sounds odd, but yeah, I know walleye's good and halibut and perch and some things, but the stuff that really tastes fishy. And so, but a guy said, oh, you got to try one of these. So I did, and I, I think I'll be okay now without <laughs> probably trying another one. It was, uh, it just, uh, it was really, really, really oily. And I should add another really there. When I write, I go through and try to um, eliminate all the reallys. But on this one, I'd have to put a bunch of reallys before oily. So I had a wonderful time. I hope everybody is uh, just having a great day and in uh, continuing to re- remember our veterans. Because, uh, boy, uh, we've all had... Uh, someone in the family who served and probably lost someone too so i appreciate those good folks and i hope that everybody will come to the cafe where the food chain is missing a few links a special it's always a heimlich maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet well hardly any of it i had someone tell me recently that they had never been to a mcdonald's restaurant oh hmm. i it said yeah i had to take a step back and look at them to see if maybe i was seeing an alien from <laughs> another planet and finally when i was able to form words i said ever this was like discovering a bigfoot albeit one with small with tiny feet not once she answered i said do you have grandchildren? No. I knew it. I uh, want to thank everybody for listening. Remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Uh, thanks for having nothing better to do than to listen to me. And do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, I enjoyed your company, as always. I'm glad your real estate business is doing so well. <laughs> in, in Alaska. In yeah. And, yeah. Well, before you go, you know, you, you've been gone in Alaska for a while, but our friend John w- would like to ask you a question. He said, Sure. How or why did the teddy bear say no to dessert? Why did the teddy bear say no to the dessert? Boy, class, anyone? Bueller, anyone got an answer out? I don't see any hands going up. Uh, because it was it was already stuffed. Oh <laughs> man, John! I tell you, uh. we always we love to hear from John, and he he gets us. I don't know where he gets these things, but he he gets us. Well, welcome back to Minnesota, and uh, enjoy the uh, cool weather we have here. And maybe you want to go back to Alaska for the winter, perhaps. We're gonna run outside in t-shirts and shorts and just. Uh, <laughs> you know, become acclimated. Very, well, very good. Well, thanks again. We'll chat with you next week, Al. Thank you. I look I look forward to it, Karen. Have a terrific Tuesday. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.
Now the little black bull come down the meadow. Who's in Johnny? Who's in Johnny? Little black bull come down the meadow long time ago. Long time ago, long time ago, little black bull come down the meadow long time ago. Now first he stomp and then he beller, who's in Johnny, who's in Johnny? First he stomp and then he beller long time ago, long time ago, long time ago. First he stomp and then he beller long time ago.